Young adults, good evening. It's good to see you guys. I'm glad you're in the building. Thank you very much. I always appreciate the response. Welcome to everybody joining us online and in the house. You guys glad to be here? What about this side? Are you guys glad to be here? You know, I, I've, I've mentioned this many times, but I need your youth to be reflected in your responses. Yeah, I mean, I, this doesn't need to be an old adults gathering, but a young adults gathering. And a young adult gathering, I feel like, is reflected in some of the energy in the room. You still have your youth. There we go. Okay. I needed to make sure I'm still in the right place. Well, okay, so speaking of your youth, have you found that life is easy? No. Wow. So even with you just starting out, you're realizing that life is not easy. I'm finding as life goes on that life is not getting easier. Life gets, I would say, in many ways more enjoyable, uh, more challenging in many ways, but a lot of it has to do with how, what your perspective is. And God has a lot of great things in store for us, and we, we find blessings and pleasures, but also challenges and trials. But I've also found that circumstances tend to get tougher. Even though you get blessings and good things and great things happen to you, for the most part, I feel like as you grow, you run into more challenging situations. And I'm saying that for, for several reasons. One is because a lot of us still have the idea, especially when it comes to following Jesus, that life is supposed to get easier as it goes on. And the reality is life does not get easier as it goes on. And especially when you're following Jesus, especially if you are following Jesus, meaning like when, where he's going, you're going. And when you look at the path of Jesus, if you're going to go where Jesus has gone, it hasn't all been roses and it hasn't all been easy. And you're going to run into situations that test what you have on the inside. And many times we're running into external circumstances that are testing what's happening internally. And today I want to talk about the war in your heart. Has anybody ever felt like there's a war going on inside? Okay, so I'm in the right place. It seems like this side is a little bit more responsive and aware of what they have going on in life. Have you, have you guys found that there's a war going on inside? Have you ever felt that? Okay, thank you. I just wanted to make sure I'm talking to the right people and I didn't need to send you guys a YouTube link to another message. I'm here for the jokes tonight. I'm feeling good. Okay, so like I said, we're talking about the war in your heart. And, and here's the passage that we're going to be reading. This struck me in a significant way when I was reading it. And I didn't know if it was a word for you guys or a word for me. And I found out that it was a word for all of us. So as I was spending time with God, he was, he was speaking to me about this. And I felt like it would be a great gift to share with you guys. And so I just want to pray briefly, and then we're going to dive into the passage. Lord, we thank you for your presence. God, we thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, I pray that you would just wash us clean tonight, Lord. Cleanse the way that we think. 
Lord, I pray that you would fill us with faith and with courage, Lord, and that you would align us with where you are. God, help me to be in fully in step with you, fully in step with your spirit as I share your word. And I pray that you would speak to your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 18. Anybody grateful for the wisdom in Proverbs? One of the greatest pieces of advice that, that I've heard, if you have a trouble figuring out where to read in the Bible at any given moment, you can always go to Proverbs and know you're going to get something out of it. If you read through Proverbs and you don't get anything out of it, I'm just wondering if you're reading it at all. Because all it is is suggestions of wisdom. And so that's a key for for many of you guys tonight. But Proverbs 18, specifically verse 12, and it says this. Before his downfall, a person's heart is proud. But humility comes before honor. Before his downfall, a person's heart is proud. But humility comes before honor. So what's this, what is this saying? This is saying that, that your internal environment has a direct correlation to your external circumstances. Before an external downfall, the internal environment is pride. And before an external Honoring the internal environment is humility. So your heart is forecasting for you. Your thoughts are forecast for you. And I found this to be very, 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 very true in my own life. And I've found that there's a war going on at all times for where I'm gonna be in my heart. And to illustrate some of this, I want to dive into a particular story in scripture that many of you guys have heard of, but may not know the meaning of or what was really taking place uh, when this took place. And so I wanna look at Acts chapter four. We're gonna read a lot of Bible tonight. Acts chapter four. And we're going to start in verses 34 through 35. This was actually the end of the chapter. And then we're going to go to the beginning of chapter five. So it says this, for there was not a needy person among them because all those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed to each person as any had need. So this is talking about the early church, that they had become such a tight-knit community of people that people who had extra sold their extra and brought the proceeds to the church, and the apostles would distribute some people's extra to meet people who didn't have enough to meet their need. And so there was an effort towards equality here. And sometimes we can read that scripture and think that everybody just went possessionless and everybody gave up everything that they had. That's not what it's saying. It's saying that some people who own land and own property had earthly wealth, what most of us would consider generational wealth that we would hold for our children. This will challenge that mindset a little bit. I'm not saying not to have land or property or to have anything for your children because the Bible talks about that as well, right? But 
This is an interesting circumstance where people have extra and they could keep it for themselves and they could give it to their family, but they're seeing needs in the body of Christ and they are somehow prioritizing that family above even their own natural family. And they're saying, hey, I want these people to have their needs met and why would I sit over here with all this extra while these people are over here in need? And so this brings us to chapter five where we see uh, some characters get in on the action. Verses one through five, but a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. However, he kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias, Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds of the land? Wasn't it yours while you possessed it. And after it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal? Why is it that you planned this thing in your heart? You have not lied to people, but to God. When he heard these words, Ananias dropped dead and a great fear came on all who heard. Somebody said that escalated quickly. So what's happening here? Because Many times I read through this story and I flew through this story and I'm like, dang, why did he have to die? (laughs) All he did was not give everything that he got from the sale. Like, wow, that was intense. So what's happening here? You see people of their own choice giving their property We're selling their property and giving the proceeds. And there's an understanding here. People are saying, hey, I sold this property. This is what I got for it. And I want to distribute it to people in need. Ananias and Sapphira decide to sell their property. But when they bring it, they choose not to be honest. They choose not to just be straightforward. And so... When they lay their money at the apostles' feet, Peter immediately sees that Satan is involved, which is strange because this is an offering. Do you not see this as weird that Peter would see Satan involved in somebody's offering? It's strange. What it says to me is it's not so much about the external action because the external action that they did was the same as everybody else. They brought money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So how was Satan involved in an offering? I think it's because Satan was aware of a reality that was really at play. 1 Samuel 16 verse 7 says this, the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his stature because I have rejected him. Humans do not see what the Lord sees, for humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. So this explains what Peter is addressing, because he says, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And then he says, why is it that you planned this thing in your heart? And this brings us to our first point. Your heart is a battlefield. So so what's taking place here is Satan knows that the Lord looks at the heart. 
Man looks at the outward appearance. And so Ananias decided that he was going to bring the Lord something on the external, but internally it would be tainted and flawed. And that was completely inspired by Satan who knew what God would really be pleased by. And so he inspired somebody to bring an offering. Isn't that strange? You would think that Satan was inspiring everybody to go kill people or do something heinous. But Satan would inspire somebody to do an appearingly good act with evil intent. And not evil intent in our eyes because you and I probably wouldn't kill him for that. So what we think is good and what we think is evil is not really relevant, but there is a battlefield in our hearts that sometimes there's a war going on that we don't even realize. And Satan is warring against God using people. So Satan inspires this person to bring an offering to the church. This is crazy to me while I'm reading it. People can be blessed by this money. Needs can be met. You would think Satan wouldn't want poverty to be fixed. You would think that he wouldn't want people to be blessed and be helped. But apparently this internal environment was more important to him than the external action. So he's like, yeah, I'll let people be blessed, but I'm going to jack this person's heart up and their motives. And I'm going to give a display to God about how I can taint his people. And so I'm going to get involved and I'm going to tempt this man to just come to God with ill intent and evil motives and to fill his heart with the wrong intent. It's interesting. I came across a quote earlier, and I don't necessarily agree with everything this person says or believes, but I did believe that this quote was was pretty accurate and I wasn't going to share this concept without giving them credit. It says this, the history of man is the history of a conflict between God and Satan, and the battleground is the life of a man. That's where the battle is really fought. John MacArthur said that. The history of humankind is the history of a conflict, not about humans, but between God and Satan, and the battleground is the life of a man. That's where the battle is really fought. So when when Satan wanted to get at God, he went to Eve. And we think that, He cared about Eve. His enemy was God. So he sought to taint what God loved and who God loved and get who he wanted to get who God loved turned against God. And so he tempts Eve. And we know that God is primarily concerned with the internal environment of human beings. We see this because we even see that this is really where God gets involved in our lives. When when we get saved, when we make a decision to follow Jesus, what happens next is not what many of us would necessarily anticipate. A lot of times we anticipate that when we get saved, that God is going to come in and fix all of our circumstances. But that's not really what he does. It's not that he never fixes our circumstances. It's not that we can't believe for our circumstances. It's not that we don't pray for our circumstances. It's not, that he, it's not that he doesn't show us his goodness in the way that he gets involved in our circumstances. But what we see God do is get immediately involved with our character. 
And it's because this reality that we saw in 1 Samuel 16, that God is not really looking at the outward appearance of a person. Humans look at that and humans care about that, but God cares about the heart of a person. And so we see, even in 1 Samuel 16, a king being chosen by God. And Samuel, the prophet, is sent to anoint the king. He goes through seven brothers before he gets to David, who is the eighth. So there were seven opportunities for God to have a king, and Samuel couldn't tell which one it was because Samuel didn't know what God cared about at the time. And so God speaks to Samuel, don't look at the things that impress you on the outside because I don't care about that. I've rejected this person that you actually would appoint because you don't know what's going on inside. I'm looking at the heart and I've chosen the person that I'm going to appoint based on who they are on the inside and their relationship with me that really takes place internally. He didn't say I'm, I'm looking at what they're doing in the temple. He didn't say, I'm looking at what this person is doing with their sacrifices, how they're obeying the law, the the, the external implications. He said, I'm looking at the heart. And so the enemy knows this. And so the temptation he brings us is always aimed at our heart. And what you see taking place, especially uh, throughout the world, is what Jesus forecasted would happen. He said that, that over time, the hearts of many would grow cold. And this is, this is one of the greatest attacks on image bearers of God. So you and I, walking around as human beings, we bear the image of God. We are made in the image of God. And, and Satan can't change that. But what he can do is tempt those of us who bear God's image on the outside to reject him on the inside. And that is the assault that he makes on the kingdom of God. And so... What the enemy is often trying to do is battle against God in your heart. You see, this wasn't people God didn't know. These were people in the church. Ananias and Sapphira, they were known by name. Peter said Ananias. Oh, he knew him. They're bringing an offering. This seems like good actions and it leads to their death. Because somewhere, Satan had got involved and completely tainted their motives. Your heart is a battlefield. Maybe that's why you wrestle so much internally. Maybe that's why your external circumstances often lead to you questioning God and his faithfulness. Why does it always lead to that? And oftentimes, when you want to hear God, you're going to hear God the loudest when it comes to what you have going on internally. That's what he speaks to the most. I've found that. You can spend, if you go to spend time with God, pray, read the word, most of the time you want to hear something about your external circumstances. God, tell me my purpose Tell me what's happening today. Tell me what's happening next week. Tell me I'm going to be a millionaire next year. Tell me I'm going to be married in six months. 
tell me I made the right choice in my marriage. That's for somebody. Many times we're asking God, we're inquiring about something external. God, when am I going to get the job? Where do I need to go? What do I need to do? And we want God to talk to us about something external. When are you going to fix this family relationship? And oftentimes we feel like we're not hearing God. And it's because we're not hearing God say what we want him to say. But if you want to hear the voice of God, open your Bible with the intent intent for him to speak to what's going on in the inside. And you'll start hearing God. Because that's what he's most concerned with. And when we are willing to have our mind renewed and our life transformed, that's where God really, really, really will get involved. And so you want to hear the voice of God be open to him speaking into your character. But the truth is, in your circumstance, you'll hear many voices. And so God will be speaking to you about your character while the enemy will also speak to you. And like I said, accusing God, right? Or just causing division. When you go through a difficult circumstance, that's where the battle really intensifies. God starts speaking to you about how you can respond like Christ. And the enemy starts speaking to you about how you can respond with self-preservation. That voice of entitlement in your ear saying, you know what you deserve. You deserve better than this. They did that to who? Not you. (laughs) Anybody ever heard that voice? Maybe I'm the only one. Do they know who you are? Why she look at you like that? And many times we get these intrusive thoughts that lead to offense and division. And it's because the enemy is waging war on our hearts and we don't even realize it. And many times we just go with the flow. And I've seen it really impact the community life in a church. I honestly think it's why, especially in our age group, but most people can't stay put for long. Like when you start getting planted and rooted and God starts growing you, the enemy comes after you in a lot of subtle ways. And a lot of times it starts in the grounds of entitlement. You should be doing this. You should be doing that. Do you know the calling on your life? They don't recognize the calling on You should be getting more opportunities. They have that job. (gasps) You should have that job. It takes place at your workplace. It takes place in the church. It takes place at school. It takes place in relationships, friendships. There are intrusive voices that are warring for your heart. Your heart affects your perspective. Your heart affects your actions. The Bible says, guard your heart, for from it flow all the issues of life. Everything that you have going on is flowing from an internal well. An internal well is flowing into all of your circumstances, into all of your decisions, into your conversations. So what's leaking from you right now? Is it peace? Is it joy? Is it faith? Is it courage? Is it doubt? 
Is it offense? Is it bitterness? Is it resentment? The war takes place on the inside. So that's point one. Your heart is a battlefield. Point two is this. Humility and pride are both trying to invade your heart. So there's a war going on for our hearts, and I would boil it down, especially for the sake of tonight, to there are two things that are really warring to take the ground. And depending on which side wins is going to determine the condition that your heart ends up in. Humility is trying to fight for ground in your heart when you are a follower of Christ. When you're outside of Christ, pride already has its way because it takes humility to come to God. It takes humility to approach God. It takes humility to desire to be saved. It takes humility to repent and turn away from your sins. It takes humility to say, I have sinned. So humility and pride are at war in your heart. So for the believer... That's really where the battle is. And the enemy is always trying to gain ground. And we see this because we see it in the life of Ananias and Sapphira. They were Christians. They were full of the Holy Spirit. So what led them to making this decision where they so grievously sinned against God and tried to taint the church? Pride, 100%. Because he was doing an external action that he clearly wanted a response from. Think about this. And I'm Ananias, right? I could just say, this is why Peter says, nobody even asked you for this. Nobody, this was not a requirement. This was not mandatory. Nobody asked him to sell anything. You could have kept your land and minded your business and you would have been fine. You could have sold your land and said, hey, I'm gonna bring half of it. And I'm going to be honest about, hey, this is the fact, the fact that this is half of it. But no, it's a, he said, why have you planned this thing in your heart? That somehow you devised a plan in your heart that inevitably was prideful. Because you didn't want to be honest. Why? Because of how you wanted to look. You wanted to look just as generous as everybody else who came and gave sacrificially. And you didn't want to give sacrificially, but you wanted to look like you did. Because you could have just been honest. So, so what happened? Pride got a hold of his heart. Satan had gotten a hold of his heart. And what did he lead him to do? Not give? You would think that Satan filling his heart would lead him to not give. Nah, you should keep that for yourself. Nah, what would be worse is you coming in manipulating and deceiving people and lying. That's where the enemy really gets involved. And so for you and I, it may not be in the offering, but for you and I, it's taking place every day in every situation, humility versus pride. How do you respond to pressure? Life will test you. For me, that's the number one battle. Every situation, marriage, parenting. I mean, especially over the last year, I feel like that's been the the 
biggest journey for me is having to find another level of humility. And especially when it comes to uh, my role in the household and having to be honest and evaluate how well am I doing here? How much am I helping versus what Gabrielle is doing? And lately, I've found freedom in another level of humility. And so this is not a humble brag by any means. This is me saying that I want to share the gift that I've found. Because you wouldn't think that it's a gift to see where you're messing up. But for some reason, I've found, especially recently, that there's been a refreshing sense of humility that's come with me to be like, you know what? Maybe I'm not as great as I feel like I am. It's been actually refreshing. Where I thought that it would be painful, it hasn't been as painful as it has been refreshing. Because when I actually open up my eyes to say, you know what? I could do better. Let me look for some ways to do better. And then I'm finding a bunch of ways and I'm like, oh, there was a lot of room for improvement here. And I didn't even realize. And humility has brought me that gift, the ability to grow. But pride will keep you from growing because pride has you convinced you don't need to grow. And so pride will have you doing the same thing for 10 years and blaming everybody else why things are going wrong. But humility, humility We'll start inviting God into your situation. Look at what he says in Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15. God describes himself this way. He says, the high and lofty one who lives in eternity, the holy one, says this. I live in a high and holy place, catch this, with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. I restore the crushed spirit of the humble and revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. So God dwells in a high and lofty and holy place, but he will not dwell in a high and lofty heart. So God is in a high and lofty and holy place with those who are lowly in heart with those who are humble in heart. Why? Because he says, I'm there to revive them. Meaning, I dwell with people who need me. I'm there to revive them. I'm there to bring them aid. You know, the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, one who comes alongside to aid. How's he gonna aid you if you don't need any help? And how are you ever gonna get help if you take everything into your own hands? But humility starts opening doors for you. He says this in in Isaiah 66, verse two. I will look favorably on this kind of person, one who is humble, submissive in spirit, and trembles at my word. I will look favorably on this kind of person. Take inventory. One who is humble, submissive in spirit, and trembles at my word. Is that how you would describe yourself? You don't have to answer out loud. (laughs) But I think it's important that we know what God cares about. I will look favorably on this kind of person, one who is talented and gifted and gets all the attention and loves the attention. 
No, that's, that's not what he says. But many times, that's what we're consuming ourselves with. How do I get more, be more, ascend to more, become more? And God is saying, I don't really look favorably at that pursuit. I look favorably on the one who's humble, submissive in spirit and trembles at my word because there's truly only one who is high and lofty and holy and you can't be that one. And so God looks favorably on the one who really understands who they are in comparison to him and that's the person who he starts getting involved in their life and starts helping them and aiding them. You need the grace of God. Sometimes you and I, we want to get free from stuff. But we're not quite willing to humble ourselves enough to do it. We're not quite willing to submit ourselves to the process enough to do it. We're not quite willing to, to go through the length of time that God might say it takes to do it. And so we want to take things into our own hands. But don't you know that that's never going to work out for you? You don't have a better plan than God. Humility starts there. Saying, God, you have a better plan. For me, it took years for me to make that acknowledgement. But it's the most important acknowledgement I've made in my life. That in every area of my life, I have to acknowledge that God has a better plan. And that's the only way I'm really going to submit to his plan. If I think my plan is better, am I really going to submit to his? If you think you have a better plan for your relationship life, are you really going to submit to his plan? Let's talk about it. Most people think that their plan for their sex life is better than God's plan. So, of course... Most people are not going to submit to his plan because they feel like their plan is better. Wisdom will show you that human plans in that area do not work out for the best. I can tell you that when my sex life was in my hands, it did not work out for my good. When I placed it in God's hands, it worked out for my good. Simple as that. And God looks favorably on the one who is humble and submissive in spirit. But many times we accuse God for his own plans. As if he's withholding something from us. As if his character is poor. I'll tell you, being in ministry will test you in that. God, your plan is, is this? I thought this was going to be better. I thought this was going to be easier. I thought this was going to be more rewarding. I'm the one, I'm out, I'm out here putting it on the line for you, and this is what I'm dealing with. Ministry will test you. And God will allow circumstances to test that and bring that out of you for your good because you didn't even know that was in there until that circumstance hit. You thought that you were really on fire for God. And look, one situation has you ready to quit. And how many times do we run into that in life? And so if your circumstances have been bringing you into a place where you're wanting to go like this and take everything into your own hands, 
and say, I can do it. My plan is better. Understand that there's a war going on. And the other side might be winning. Doesn't have to take you out. Don't be like Ananias. Understand that there is a war going on and that God only dwells in one place. I mean, I've looked through the scriptures and I just cannot find a place where God says that he dwells with pride. That his grace shows up in pride. I I don't see it because Paul says that, that God told him his power is made perfect in Paul's weakness and that his grace is sufficient for his struggle, for his lowliness. He did not say, you know what? Go ahead. Puff your chest out. Stun on them. (laughs) And I'm going to put grace on it. You know what? Kick down a door for yourself, Paul. Go do what you want to do and I'm going to bless it. But that's many times the approach that we take with God. God, I'm going to take this into my own hands. I'm going to jump in the driver's seat. I'm going to hit the gas. I'm going to steer. You're going to bless it, right? And then we're, we're driving 120 miles an hour in life down the highway past everybody go in our own direction, and then when God isn't blessing it, we're mad at him. He doesn't dwell there. He doesn't dwell with the fast-paced, prideful person who has it all figured out. He says that he dwells in a high and lofty place on his own. You're not there. He's there, and he's with you when you're humble in heart. And so here's, here's the deal. If you want God To improve your circumstances, you're first going to have to submit to what he's doing in your heart. But most times, that's where we're running into attention with God. God, I want you to change this, and God's saying, I want you to change this. And then we're at a stalemate. Neither of us are moving, and can I tell you, you're not going to get God to move. So you're saying, God, change this. Change this this job situation, he's saying, change your attitude. And if he changes the situation before you change your attitude, you never learn your lesson and then you go to the next level with the lowest level's attitude. And so for me, I'll just say practically, if I'm seeing that There's a lot of room for improvement with one baby. With another baby coming, I am grateful that God is helping to stretch me in this area and to make me a little better before the load gets heavier. And for many of us, we don't necessarily see it that way, that that we want God to bring us to a new place, but a new place requires a new capacity. And if you want more... (laughs) You have to be able to handle more. And you cannot handle more with your current level of strength, with your current level of attitude, with your current level of of submissiveness, with your current level of humility. And so God is going to stretch you. That's what he does. And many times the enemy is talking to you about the same circumstances that God is trying to encourage you through and transform you through and renew you through and the enemy will try to discourage you through it and get you to rebel against God and get you to quit and get you to tap out. That's what's happening. Plot exposed. 
There's a war in your heart, humility and pride. Satan, his number one thing is pride. That's the essence of who he is. If you boil it all down, what the Bible tells us about him is he is pride and he tempts with pride. His downfall was pride. He said, I will ascend into the heavens. I will establish my throne above God. I will be like the most high. And then so God says, so you will be cast down and cast out and destroyed because God does not look favorably on the proud. On the proud. And the enemy, even his first temptation of Jesus went straight at pride. Really, all of them. But the first one, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Prove to me who you are. Then he tempts him. He says, look, I have all these kingdoms. They've been delivered to me for a period of time, and I give them to whoever I want. We might need to pay attention to that. So it is not only God who blesses. God does bless The Lord says that the Lord does make rich and the Lord adds no sorrow to it. And he gives you the ability to create wealth. So it's not, money's not only from the devil, but money can come from the devil. He says, all of this has been delivered to me and I give it to whoever I want. He, the devil says this to Jesus. And so he says, I'll give it to you if you just bow down and worship me. You want these kingdoms, don't you? You're supposed to be the son of God ruling the world, right? King of kings. I'll make you that. Just bow down to me. We can shortcut this process. You don't have to wait on God. I'll give it to you right now. Just reject him. Reject the father. And that's the same thing that he does to you. You don't have to wait on God. You don't have to submit to God. I'll give you what you want right now. You want a relationship? Here you go. I'll give it to you right now. Just bow down and worship me. And you say, I would never worship the devil. (laughs) When you reject God, you bow down to the devil. Do y'all know what what the root of Satanism is? Self-worship. It's I'm going to do what I want. That's literally the root of it. It's not worshiping Satan. It's worshiping yourself. And in doing that, Satan gets worshiped. He likes that. This is why Satan fills Ananias' heart to just go do something prideful. He didn't go give to the church of Satan. He gave to the church of God with ill intent to lie to God, to God's face. So temptation, it's all rooted in pride. It's I'm gonna take this into my own hands. I'm gonna do things my way. I'm not gonna follow God's plan. God says to submit, to be humble, to love people. I'm gonna bypass some of this stuff and I'm gonna do things my own way. And he'll try to creep in in every little area of your life. There's a war in your heart and humility and pride are at war with one another. But here's here's the last thing that I wanna say. Humility opens the door to the grace of God. Humility opens the door to the grace of God. Back to our original scripture, Proverbs 18, 12. Before his downfall, a person's heart is proud, but humility comes before honor. 
So pride opens the door to destruction. Pride opens the door to a downfall. It's saying before his downfall, a person's heart is proud. When your heart starts getting proud, the environment starts getting set for destruction. That's the, that's the crazy thing that happens. We don't feel like that's happening, but that's what's happening. As, as the enemy starts stirring pride in your heart and division and offense and lack of submission and entitlement and feeling like you should be here and you should have this and you're so amazing, get ready. When you start submitting to that, so, so that's the crazy thing about it. It's so cunning that many times we actually buy the lie and we say, you know what? I am entitled to this. I should have this. I shouldn't have to wait on God. I shouldn't have to submit to this. I know that he said in this world you, have, you will have trouble, but I don't like trouble. I shouldn't have to have trouble. I know he said, blessed are you when the world hates you, but I don't want to be hated. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted for his name's sake. I don't want to be persecuted. He said, the, the student can't be greater than the teacher. If they hate the teacher, they're going to hate you. So you're going to have to learn how to handle that because he doesn't say that you can clap back. He doesn't. He doesn't say you should run around arguing with people all day. In fact, it says that when he was spat on, insulted, mocked, that he didn't retaliate. And instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Humble. And it opened the door for the grace of God that he obeyed. He was humble to the point of Death. He, was hum- he humbled himself to the point of being obedient, even to the point of death on a cross. Therefore, says that God exalted him. So he humbled himself to the point of death, and that's what opened the door to the resurrection. Do you, know, you can't lose with God. You lose on your own. So when he was in the garden struggling, saying, Yet not my will, but your will be done. He exemplified humility for us. Jesus Christ exemplified humility for us and showed us that the Father will respond with grace and with kindness and with favor to those who humble themselves and submit themselves to him. So we can entrust ourselves whenever we're going through unfair treatment, whenever things feel like they are not working out in our favor, we can entrust ourselves to God knowing that he does have our best interests at heart, that he will not leave us or forsake us. He won't leave us where we are, but he will continue to develop us internally and he will show us grace and favor. 1 Peter 5 Verse five says this, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility, not just toward God, but toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And he's quoting Proverbs 3, verse 34, that says, he, talking of God, he mocks those who mock, but gives grace to the humble. If you want grace in your life, if you want the strength of God in your life, the power of God in your life, the power to resist sin, if you want to see doors opened in your life, if you want to see any type of honor bestowed upon you in the kingdom of God, it's going to come when you humble yourself. Jesus Christ says, those who humble themselves will be exalted, but those who exalt themselves will be humbled. That's what the end is going to look like. Nobody's going to stand before God with a prideful heart 
and be exalted. They're going to be brought low. And those who humble themselves and stand before God with a humble heart, who have submitted themselves to Jesus Christ, they're going to be exalted. That's how God works. And so you have to understand that there's a war going on in your heart. That the enemy is, it's really that simple. Every situation you're in, if you just take a step back and say, okay, let me look at this situation. Let me look at the circumstance. What is this trying to do in my heart? This person said this about me. What is this trying to do in my heart? I feel this way. What is this trying to do in my heart? Oh, I just had this thought that I don't feel like is God. Hold on. Let me take a look at my heart. What is this trying to do in my heart? And do I find myself leaning towards humility and submissiveness before God? Or do I start to, am I starting to close off? Am I starting to get prideful? Am I starting to say, I'm going to take this into my own hands? Because that is how the enemy is tricking you into closing the door to God's grace. Humility. God will respond. So I want to close here. Matthew 11, verse 29 says this. Jesus is saying, take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus is saying, I'm not in the rat race. I'm not in this fight to climb the ladder. I'm not in this race to success and where your ambition is driving everything that you do and your own self-sustaining and self-preservation and self-aggrandizement is driving everything you do. I'm not in that because that's not how I am. Philippians tells us that, that Christ himself, he did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but instead he humbled himself and took on the form of a servant. And Jesus was walking around, not seeking to be served, but to serve. That was his motive. He said, I'm, I'm not walking around trying to make a name for myself. I'm, I'm walking around trying to serve people. He said, I'm humble and I'm lowly of heart. You're talking about the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present God. This, this is God in human flesh showing us how to be human in the right way. Satan gets a hold of humans and convinces them to rebel against God. God puts on human flesh and embodies what we're actually supposed to be like. We don't have to prove anything. You don't have to prove anything to anybody. What are you trying to prove? When you're in Christ, you've already inherited everything. You have eternal life. Eternal life. The riches of God's grace. An inheritance stored up for you in heaven where nothing can touch it, nothing can destroy it. The enemy cannot actually steal anything from you. Jesus says, don't fear man who can just kill the body. Fear God 
who can both kill the body and throw the soul into hell. And yet he has chosen that that's not the plan he wants for any of us. So he has laid out the path for us to walk straight to him. He says that we could boldly approach the throne of God's grace and obtain mercy in our time of need because of the blood of Jesus Christ. What more do you need? If you wanna be a follower of Jesus, that's gonna have to be your outlook in life. you're not gonna be able to live like everybody else lives. The entire world is under the influence of the devil. Scripture describes him as the prince of the powers of the air. It says that those who walk in disobedience are under his influence, and it's all rooted in pride. God wants his people to be humble because we trust him. And so that's my encouragement for you today. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Take my teaching upon you. Take my weight upon you. Take my work upon you. It's light. I'm gentle. I'm humble. I'm lowly of heart. And I respond to you with grace and with favor when you are. I want to pray for us. Lord, I thank you for your grace, for your mercy, Lord. Lord, I thank you that you're showing us the keys to success in your kingdom. Lord, I thank you that you are giving us some of the most powerful insight that we could ever receive, God. You're showing us how to respond in every situation we will ever face, that if we will respond with humility, you will respond with favor and with grace. So Lord, I just pray for a special anointing over your people in this moment. Lord, I pray for a special grace on your people in this moment, God, to get a grasp of humility. Lord, for those of us who have been struggling with it, Lord, I pray for the empowerment of your spirit, God. I pray that you would even just show us in subtle ways throughout our day, throughout our morning, throughout our afternoon, our evening, God, our interactions, our conversations, our temptations, God. I pray that you would show us by your spirit where you're calling us to lean on you, to humble ourselves, and to rely on you. And Lord, I just pray that grace and favor would mark this people. Lord, every person under the sound of my voice, Lord, I pray that your favor and your grace will mark their lives. God, that there will be story after story of your grace, story after story of your favor, God, that they will truly see how you respond and you get involved in their lives when they submit themselves to you. Lord, I pray that they will have testimony after testimony of the goodness of God and that they will see that they don't have to fight their own battles. They don't have to figure it out on their own. They don't have to have their own wisdom, Lord, but that you will give wisdom, you will give answers, Lord, you will open doors. Lord, I pray that we would conduct ourselves in humility and with grace. And Lord, I mentioned earlier that without humility, we cannot be saved. And Lord, for any person that that struck a chord with, I pray that you would draw them right now in their hearts into surrender, into acknowledgement, of who you are, Lord, and 
into the desire to step into full relationship with you. Lord, I pray that you would call your children who've wandered away home in this moment. And Lord, I pray for a grace of humility over every person who has not been walking with you, God, to humble themselves before you and say, Lord, I need you. I can't do this on my own. I need your righteousness. I need your purpose. I need your voice in my life. I need your leadership. If that's you, if that's resonating with you, I just want you to lift your hand. If that's you, if you're saying, I want to step into relationship with Jesus Christ today. I have not had a relationship with him. I wanna be in relationship with him. I see hands going up across this building. This is a holy moment. I just feel to ask, is there anyone else? The hand is not about me. The hand is about you. This is you acknowledging before God, Lord, I humble myself before you. You deserve my life. I need you. It's beautiful. If that's you, if you have your hand up, I want you to pray this prayer with me. And, and, and look, it's not just about repeating words. It's about you coming into agreement with what I'm saying. This is a conversation between you and the God of all creation. Say, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are the son of God that you lived a human life, you died on a cross for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead and that you're alive right now. Lord, I humble myself before you. I turn from my old way of life. I repent for my sins and I receive your forgiveness I'm turning completely to you and I'm going to follow you for the rest of my days. I'm stepping into the family of God and into lordship where you become my Lord. Thank you for being my heavenly father. I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen.